I'm Natalie Heacock. And I'm Chelsea Brown. And this is Lumber Slingers. Each podcast, we will be bringing you relevant and useful industry information, including interviews with top lumber professionals and discussion of current events in the industry. Whether it be lumber grading, industry and market trends, or who's who in lumber, we hope to extend your current tally on industry knowledge. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Lumber Slingers. Today, unfortunately, it is just me. Chelsea's out sick, but I will try to, I'll try to keep it lively on my own. I'm very excited today because we have um, a guru, if you will, of engineered wood products, something I know not too much about. So I'm hoping I can get all my questions answered today. Welcome, Dan, to the show. Hi, Dan. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. This is my first uh, podcast as well. I heard your Bethany one the other day and, and uh, yeah, I'm new to this, so but I'm excited about it. So I'm ready to go. It's exciting. We're getting a lot of new people who haven't had a podcast yet. Excited yeah. to be your first one. Yeah, I know. This is great. You guys do a really good job. I mean, frankly, I really compliments on your podcast. I think this is really good. I'm glad you guys revived it then. Glad Gabby pushed you to uh, yeah. <laughs> to revive this thing, and uh, I think there's a, really a lot of good information. I've listened now to all of them, unless you had one in the last week. But uh, I think all of them are informative in many ways. Awesome, thank yeah. you. That's great feedback. So, just a quick little um, intro on you, Dan. Dan is the director of engineered wood products for Murphy Company based in Eugene, Oregon. And he has been in the wood products industry for almost 29 years, which doesn't look possible, including 18 years in multiple engineered wood product roles with Lama Industries, Warehouser, Pacific Wood Tech, and Murphy. Dan graduated from the University of Montana with a degree in business and a minor in Asian studies where he learned Japanese. You have to tell me, do you still use your Japanese? You know, not very, uh, not very much. I'm uh, pretty crude. That you know, I haven't really used it for about 15 plus years, I suppose. And uh, I suppose if I get a few beers in me, I get a little. <laughs> you know, I could try a little bit harder and be a little less um, hesitant. I guess that's probably the best way to put it. But yeah, no, I've lost a lot of it, unfortunately. That sounds like me when I try to speak Spanish. Once I've had well, a few uh, beers, I'm much better at it. <laughs> I, I actually studied Spanish in high school for for four years or three, three or four years. But whenever I try to speak Spanish now, Japanese comes out. So it just doesn't work. You know? I, I think my brain can only handle one at a time. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> awesome. Well, let's get started. I think the first question that I want to ask, general, high level, and then we'll start to get into the specifics. But what is an engineered wood product? So that's a good question. It depends on what your definition is and I guess in what position of the part of the chain you're in. I mean, uh, engineered wood products is really wood fibers that are glued together for use in the structural. Uh, sorry, it, in my definition, sorry, wood fibers that are used together for use in a structural application. So in general, it's it's any wood products that is in, engineered. So it could be something that's not structural. But if you were to go to a lumber yard and you were to ask them, do you have engineered wood products? They're thinking of much narrower than that. So they're thinking it's going to be um, I-joist, LVL, uh, Paralam, which is parallel strand lumber, something like that, maybe an LSL. They're not thinking of other things that are engineered wood products. So if you were members of the APA, the Engineered Wood Products Association, and the APA 
they view engineered wood products as OSB and plywood and uh, mass timber and I-joist and LVL, what they call SCL, which is structural composite lumber. So that's LSL, parallel strand lumber, and LVL. So we've got all kinds of acronyms in our industry. I view it as it's something that's structural. If you were to look at go to a lumber yard and ask somebody if they've engineered wood, what are they going to answer with? And that is LVL, I-joist, uh, maybe some LSL. Those are the things they're going to answer with. So those are the main ones I concentrate on, but I'll try to touch on some of the others outside of panels, uh, outside of OSB and uh, plywood. And so you touched on it briefly. I heard you mention composite. Can you talk a little bit about composite wood products? Are those the same? They fall within the engineered wood products category? So kind of. So like I said, the broad definition of engineered wood products would include any really wood that's glued together. But a lot of, if, again, if you were to ask one yard about composite wood products, they're thinking MDF, particle board, HDF, which is a hard density fiber board. MDF is medium density. Those types of things, composite decking, like a Latrex decking, that, that would be considered a composite wood product. There's decking, fencing, but those I don't consider as um, structural products necessarily. So a, a lumberyard wouldn't consider those uh, engineered wood products, even though they are in oil. Okay. So how long has engineered wood products been around? When were they invented? Well. It depends on which one you're looking at and which one's a part of that definition. So glue laminated beams, which I haven't mentioned. I noticed you had uh, Casey Hallstrom on from Zippo in one of the years, and she talked about glue laminated beams. Glue laminated beams were around in the 1840s uh, in Europe, and uh, some of those buildings from built in the wow. 1800s are still standing today, which is fantastic. You know, plywood was uh, in the uh, 1920s, uh, OSB in the 60s. IJoist came around in, in the late 60s, 1969. A company called Trust Choice, which Warehouser owns now. Um, LVL uh, was in the 80s. You know, it's funny. I was I overheard somebody say a few months ago, they said, uh, geez, they talked about the 80s like it was 40 years ago. And I'm thinking to myself, holy cow, that's 40, it is 40 years ago. <laughs> so it hasn't been around for a while. And then if you get to mass timber, uh, mass timber came about in the early 1990s in Europe, in, in Austria, and then it has evolved since and been adopted in the United States. And you see it is growing quite quickly from a small footprint in the United States. So it's so engineer would have been around for quite some time in, in its various forms. Wow, that's really interesting. And it seems like it keeps developing and eventually there'll be new new versions. Yes, yeah. Well, in mass timber, it's evolving as well. I mean, there's there's more acronyms in the mass timber. We talk about CLT as a cross-laminated timber. There's a DLT, dowel laminated. So it kind of looks like a glue laminate laid on its side, as is nail laminated. And then there's a glue laminated timber, GLT, which is interesting. It's basically a glue laminated beam is laid on its side. It's engineered differently, but that would fit into this mass panel, mass timber panel, which... There's one out there called an MPP, made by Ferris, which is a mass plywood panel. So it basically uses veneer to make a huge mass timber panel. So like I said, there's tons of acronyms in our industry, and hopefully that gives you a little bit of taste of what's out there. There are so many acronyms. I don't know yes. how to keep them straight. Absolutely. It's like I need flashcards with the acronyms. For sure. Like no, memorize them. One thing I'd, I'd like to touch on, the other one of my mentors in this industry was a guy named Mike St. John. And he was actually the very first 
uh, residential salesperson for using your wood products for trust choice. And uh, Mike, you would always start off you'd, with his voicemail. It always said, it's a great day to be an engineer wood products business. So it's Mike's line. Somebody brought that up the other day, which I thought was interesting. And, and then one other thing he said about engineer wood products is basically we take a tree apart and we put it back together better than Mother Nature. So, you know, you know the lumber business well, and the lumber, you'll have a defect like the knot, and the knot could go clear through the peats. But on engineer wood products, you're taking those defects, those knots or those weaker parts of the wood, and then you're spreading those out or you're eliminating them through finger joining or, or other things. And you um, minimize the defects. So in the case of LVL that we produce, you uh, are taking that knot and it's only an eighth of an inch thick or a sixth of an inch thick. It's hard to say. But um, <laughs> anyway, they, so you're dealing with a knot that's only an eighth of an inch thick. And then you, you spread that out. You layer these veneers so that the defect doesn't continue on through. So you're offsetting the defects in one piece uh, with the strength of another. And so that's why it's engineered. It's, it's engineered for strength. Excuse me. It's engineered for strength. So it's really interesting. When you talk about LVL, yes. does that cover a range of product or is that a product? Generally, it's a product, but it does, it does. I mean, there's different grades and there's different layups. So generally, LVL is it's similar to plywood in that you're using veneer. But the veneer that we use in LVL is graded for strength. And then you build it similar to a laminated beam based on the strength of the fibers you put in the glulam or in the LVL, the stronger the, the piece is. So with LVL, generally, it's unidirectional. So plywood is cross-banded. So you, every other layer is generally alternated. So you would have a three-ply, a five-ply, seven-ply in, in plywood. They also have a four-ply to confuse that, that explanation. <laughs> That's beside the point. As two, two center plies are cross-banded. LVL is generally unidirectional, so all the veneers go in the same direction, and you lay it out like a fan of cards. So you offset the defects of one, the strength of the other, and you lay it out into one long ribbon that you then cut to length, uh, and it's used generally as a beam. So an, a piece of plywood, for instance, or OSB, has cross plies in it, and so it has very high shear. So you'd use it on your walls or of your house, for instance, that would help in windstorms or earthquakes. So kind of racking of your house. So it'll help in those situations. LVL, because it's all unidirectional, the shear values are not as high as plywood. And so it's used generally as a beam or a header above a window. Like if you had a patio door, you put a piece of LVL up there because you wouldn't want the, the roof for the, the upper wall sagging into that door and preventing it from opening or closing. In uh, LVL has become popular mainly because recently it's become popular because of HGTV. Um, <laughs> many, many people watching HGTV now that actually know what LVL is because they are asking how to expand this house that they bought so they can have this, this open concept. And so to get the open concept, they want a beam that hides up in the ceiling. And so they buy a piece of LVL or multiple pieces of LVL to create this beam to lifted up into the ceiling that their four joists from the floor above hook into this LVL, and then you can have this open concept. So in today's houses that are built, they go ahead and just build them that way. So they use an LVL hidden into the ceiling. The joists match up with that, and then you can have this open concept to your kitchen and your living room, and you can blend those rooms and open them up. Interesting. 
Yeah, so LBLs make sense become, become popular. But so then back to your question, there's other forms of LBL. Uh, I mentioned uh, first makes some MPP, this mass plywood panel. So they're laying it up somewhere to LBL, but then they cross-band layers of it. So they might make, you know, say eight layers of veneer going one direction and then, be, then they glue those together and then they'll glue those together with some going the other direction. There's also LBL that has a crossband in it to keep it more stable. So uh, LBL oftentimes with moisture will want to cup. So if you have a situation where you don't want it to cup or you want strength where you want some shear strength in your LBL, you will turn some of the plies the other direction to give it this crossband. But there's only a few manufacturers in the world that make a crossband of LBL. Generally, it's not made that way. And are you one of those? No, no, we make ours unidirectional. So we're making beam and header. That's our primary. And then there's LBL that's used for concrete uh, bracing and shoring. So nothing that goes up against concrete, but it would support plywood panels that when you're pouring concrete, there's used as scaffold plank. It's used as, uh, oh gosh, there's tons of things, some bridge stringers, I suppose, for temporary bridges windows and door parts. So there is some LBL manufacturers that make a non-structural LBL um, or it's used non-structurally. So it'd be used in a window or a door because it's more stable, it's engineered. So it's not going to, it's going to be dried through and out, through and through. So because it's dried, you're not worried about it moving or warping or twisting. So that's one of the beauties of LBL is it's a more stable product um, and you can have longer spans uh, because it's engineered. You can engineer it for a stronger than solid lumber. Interesting. So that would be Murphy's number one produced item? No, not really. We we are a very <laughs> large veneer producer on the West Coast. And uh, we have uh, six facilities. So three of those peel veneer. Uh, we have one that produces LVL. And that's a, a one of our primary plants. And so we produce a lot of our veneer for specifically for LVL. So it's a strength graded veneer. We grade it or stress graded veneer, some will call it. And so we'll uh, separate out those veneers that make LVL. And then uh, we will also take high grade. So if there's a clear veneer or an A face, AB face, we'll separate those and sell them to plywood plant or we'll lay them up ourselves in plywood. So uh, the other manufacturing plant that's not veneer is our plywood plant. And uh, that's in Southern Oregon. And so that one Generally, we'll take what's left from the LVL and and make a really nice panel out of it. So that you put you put nicer plies on the outside, and then you can use core or centers in the center of that plywood. So you can use up the whole tree. And then we also have hardwood plywood plant. So the hardwood plywood plant uses a softwood platform or core. So basically, we lay up softwood plywood, then we send it up to our hardwood plywood plant to put hardwood veneer on the top and, and or bottom. So if, for instance, if you have a cabinet that you bought for your kitchen, generally the very center of that is going to be softwood plywood, but the outside might be birch, it might be oak, it might be you know walnut or whatever you want for your cabinets. So those are three non-veneer plants. We have so three veneer plants and then LVL, softwood plywood, and hardwood plywood. Wow, that's a lot so, going on. Yeah, we also have a... a, a Timberlands, and we have logging division. So one of the things that's happened in our industry is that a lot of these small loggers, they're getting up there in age, and they've had a hard time finding people to replace them. And generally, their kids have not wanted to get into it, um, or they can't find the employees. And so 
trying to find support for logging. Uh, your auto logging operations, oftentimes manufacturers have had to get into it. And it kind of makes sense because we have economies of scale. So we can mm -hmm. provide better uh, benefits, um, insurance, and, and those types of things to support those employees. And so that's one direction that we started down several years ago. But that's just one exciting. More, so yeah, one more thing about Murphy is it's a family-run organization. So we're in the fourth generation been around for a hundred years and uh, more than a hundred years. And, uh, you know, we're still a going concern and we plan to grow. So that's one of the reasons I joined Murphy is that they want to grow and I want to grow with them. That's awesome. I just love the comment about being able to provide better benefits. And I mean, I'm all about that. It's really exciting when you're able to, you know, with the economies of scale, be able to provide insurance to people who really need it and their families. And so we've been able to do that also at Patrick. And so it's just, it's pretty awesome. It makes uh, it worth it. Well, one of the great things I would say about the Murphy family and the way that they run the company is that their focus is to give everybody 40 hours. And, and right now we're fortunate enough, we can give them more than 40 if they, they want to work that. But even when times are slow, John Murphy is really focused on giving everybody 40 hours and making sure they got it. It's really important. I mean, they've got bills to pay. You know, when the market slows down, typically the office staff, the salespeople, they still get their 40 hours and, you know, you lay off production personnel. And that's not the culture here. Our culture is to give everybody at least 40 hours of work and keep them employed all the time. We depend on them. Uh, they depend on us. And it's a mutual benefit for all of us, right? Mm -hmm. That's so important. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to circle back really quick and talk briefly about iJoists. Sure. Can you give me just a general overview of what they are, what the application is? Sure. So iJoists, which we don't produce here at, at Murphy, but uh, in my prior positions, I dealt with a lot with iJoists. And so I started Engineer Wood Products was selling iJoists to LBL and blue laminated beams when I worked for Lyman Industries, but an eye joist is shaped like an eye. So if you imagine that an eye beam would be a steel eye beam or an, an uppercase eye, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> with the, yeah, with the flanges on there, the whole thing. But so the, so the top, the, the uppercase eye, right, is that the top and the bottom are called flanges and the inner part is called a web. And the web used to be made with plywood when it was first invented. And that's uh, migrated to OSB because OSB has very high shear and it can be mass produced uh, as well. And it doesn't have any four gaps uh, that help that with its shear. So the web has gone to, to OSB um, and all manufacturers use OSB or say the vast majority of, of manufacturers use OSB as a web. The flange, the top and bottom, is either going to be made with LBL or it's going to be made with finger-jointed lumber. And typically that lumber is MSR graded, another acronym, but machine stress rated lumber. And Thank you. Yes. So MSR lumber is uh, graded for strength again. And so you use various strengths depending on how robust you want the side joints to be. So you either use a higher or lower strength of LBL or a higher or lower strength of, of lumber that you use to produce eye joists to give it the span that you need. So the beauty of iJoists is that they span about a third more, a third longer than lumber typically. And part of that is because you can make them in long lengths. You can, you know, typically they're made in 48 foot or 60 foot lengths. They're not used in those lengths 
but the, the contractor doesn't tell the lumber yard what length that they need until the day before they need it. So the distributor would have 48 60s in their yard and the, the contractor comes along and says, yeah, I need 24s. So they would go out in the yard and they would cut some 48s back to 24s and send them out to the contractor. And that span of 24 feet may or may not be the span that's used. So say you have a bedroom that's 12 feet wide and you have another one next to it that's 12 feet wide, you might buy a 24 footer and then just use it that way. And because it's a third stronger, it's a teeter-totter effect. So the weights or the usage on one side of that wall, of that center wall, will give support to the other side like a teeter-totter. So with lumber, you're going to use 12 or 14 footer and they'll overlap over that center wall. And so you won't get that teeter-totter effect to lumber. One of the reasons I just span further in a multi-span situation. Hope that helps. I, that's kind of a general, but it it's uh, I joists come in various depths. They're they're typically nine and a half inches up to 24 inch, but there are much larger in commercial. And typically in a house, it's uh, in the nine and a half, 11, seven inch, 14, 16 inch range. Mm-hmm. So deeper than you would find in lumber. I mean, you could substitute for an I joist. I joists are often substituted and have grown market share by taking it away from lumber, partly because people want longer spans. They want that open concept to their house. They want bigger houses. And oftentimes it can be faster to lay out the I joists because they're consistent in size and shape and they're engineered. So it's predictable on how they're going to perform. So those I joists then will marry up to a beam, either a laminated beam or LDL beam, oftentimes to hide that in the ceiling if you can, uh, to create that open concept and see the house. Awesome. Yeah, that helps. That helps. So you talked about what Murphy does and where they make their products. Is there an area that predominantly makes engineered wood products? Is it concentrated to one area? Is it throughout the entire world? What does that look like? Well, so let me start with OSB. OSB, generally you need a cheap and abundant species to make OSB. So you're going to keep your costs down you're going to engineer this OSB with flakes that you're going to flake off of the, the log. And so you just need cheap and abundant species. So you can have OSB produced anywhere. So it's going to follow the cheap fiber. So generally you see OSB is made in Northern Canada. You'll see that in, you know, in Eastern Canada and Western Canada, but choosing the Northern regions are getting up into to Aspen or something like that, or cottonwood or, or some smaller trees. OSB is also made in the southeast. You see that southern yellow pine is relatively cheap. And so uh, they will make it out of southern yellow pine. You can, uh, it's abundant and cheap, right? So you get up into Minnesota is where there has been uh, a bit of OSB is made as well. LVL, on the other hand, you need it to be really three criteria. You need to be softwood because hardwood is pretty expensive. So generally it's going to be around softwood. You need it to be strong and you need it to be abundant. And so for those three things, Generally, in particularly North America, it's going to be Douglas fir in the Northwest because it's abundant, it's softwood, and it's strong. And in the Southeast, it's going to be Southern Yellow Pine, and it meets those three, three criteria as well. There is a spruce of LBL that's made in Europe. There has been some made in Russia, and right now, of course, that's all shut off. There's uh, made in New Zealand, but their strengths in New Zealand, they, because they make it out of radiata pine, in New Zealand, they don't get the strengths that we need in North America. So that's not a good substitute. There's some made in Western Australia as well, a small producer there that makes it out of a Portuguese pine or a maritime pine, I think they call it. 
And there's a little bit made in China, but generally what you'd see coming out of China is made on that 20-foot press, and it's not, you say, it's it's not certified. So generally, it's not going to be used as structural in uh, in North America. So typically, except it's Northwest and, and Southeast uh, is where you're going to see most LVL used in, the, in those areas. Blue laminated beams you'll see in uh, Eastern Canada, the black spruce is strong, but the logs are fairly small. You'll see Gulen beams, of course, made with Southern Pine and Douglas fir, and out of Europe. You'll see a bunch of the there. Also with uh, eye joists, you're taking components and you're putting them together. So you're taking a flange. So if we make LVL flange, then that would be made in the Northwest and Southeast. If you're using a lumber flange, that could be made anywhere. So you'll see some made in Alberta. You'll see some made in Eastern Canada out of lumber. Uh, there's one in California also that makes it with a lumber flange. So, but generally those are following the costs of lumber and and they're, they can be basically built anywhere for an iGIS plan. So you listed off a lot of different locations. Who's the largest consumer, do you know, of engineered wood products? I mean, is it the region where they're consumed? That's why they're making them there. Is there a lot of shipping? Do they go, you know, one country trades for another country? Well, let's, I guess let's talk about North America real quick and then I'll talk about the world. But in North America, uh, iJoyce and LVL, engineered wood products are used all over the country. What I tell people is uh, Google the uh, United States at night and you'll see where it's used. So um, you see the population is west of Mississippi, or excuse me, the population is east of the Mississippi. 65 to 70% of all LVL is used east of Mississippi. And that's where the population is. In the west, if you look at that map, you'll see lights around Denver and Seattle and Portland and, you know, California, Arizona, but you there's a lot of black space in between that you're just not building the houses like they do in the east. Um, you get into the southern tier states, um, there's a lot more slab on grade, uh, meaning that there's concrete for the bottom floor, so they don't use as many eye joists. And it, but it's used all over. So the part of engineer wood products is evolved by where it's been made and who who started it. So trust joists started in the west, so west coast is pretty strong, but it's still only about 60, 55, or 60 percent of the floors in the West. You get into the Rockies, trust was very strong back then. And so Utah, Colorado, they're probably 99 percent in engineered wood products, very high. You get down to the Carolinas, they're high in engineered wood. And in Canada, it's adopted very strongly as well. But as far as the world goes, um, there's only really four countries that build wooden houses. So the United States by far. And then it, we have the population. You have you know, over 300 million people. And then you you have to look at number two is Japan, which is a distant second, but still very significant in their wood, their wood products, or excuse me, their wooden housing starts. Number three is Canada. And they're, you know, 30, what, 38 million people, I think, in Canada. And then it's Australia is about 25 million people. But Australia uses a lot more wood per house, which is interesting, a lot more LVL per house. But those are really the only four countries that build wooden houses. The rest of them predominantly do not. There is growing in Europe, particularly in the UK, since I brought up Russia before. Russia actually used to build, before the communists came along, used to build a lot of wooden houses. And when the communists came along, they converted all that to concrete. And then now they're going back to more wooden structures in Russia as well. <laughs> that's awesome. That's really interesting. I never thought of it. You know, who's building wood houses? And that's really interesting. So then speaking of wooden houses and construction, which we know has been crazy, from your perspective, do you think that engineered wood products are gaining market share 
Are people turning more to those options? What does that look like? Well, that's a, that's a good question. So iJoy, uh, strangely, have been losing market share over the past several years. And part of that is, uh, there's various reasons, but part of that is the migration of population to the South. And, uh, you know, if you look at houses that are built in Southern California and Arizona and New Mexico, we're over from Texas through to Florida, there's a lot more slab on grade, a lot more concrete for that bottom floor. Where you get into the into the Rockies in particular, but the upper, the northern tier states are going to have a crawl space in the basement uh, or a basement. So if you have a crawl space or a basement, you're going to use eye joists potentially. You're going to use some kind of joists for your bottom floor, and then you're going to use them for your second floor. So now if you go to the southern tier states and they build slab on grade, you've just eliminated one floor of eye joists. So now you use 50% less joists regarding regardless of what they're made out of. The other is that there's uh, well, let me get back to that. So the slab on grade is actually increasing even in northern tier states, which is strange to me. Uh, it's not tradition uh, because you have frost that will push your the frost heaves, basically will push your foundation up. So they found ways to, to build houses with slab on grade even when the ground freezes in wintertime. The other is that um, new energy codes are pushing the HVAC, the heating and air conditioning ductwork into the space. So typically heating and air conditioning would go through your basement or your crawl space, or it would go through the attic or your ductwork to mm-hmm. heat or cool your house. Well, with the new energy codes, they their push has been to push those leaky ducts because they generally leak, uh, to push those into the conditioned space. So if you put them between the floors, any air that might escape will now go in your house since you have a more efficient build in your house or more efficient construction in your house. So what's happened is, is that there's been some growth in an open web truss, which is basically a floor truss that's been made with lumber. So you'll see it and it looks like a zigzag through the center web of, of, a, of an open web truss. You've seen four, excuse me, you've seen roof trusses and I'm sure you've seen four trusses. And if you think about it, it, it might come to mind, but those generally have open spaces that they're the contractors like working with and that popularity is is growing slowly and taking away some market share from iJoyce. Interesting. That's, that's what's happening. Yeah. So that so so in LVL though, I think we're actually increasing market share. And part of that is HGTV. You know, they're when they're doing this remodel, they push piece the, the LVL beams up into the ceiling and the, you know the joists are already there. Um, in new construction, uh, in OLVL, I think that we're slowly growing there as well because uh, regardless of what the joists are, you, you need beams in there. The laminated beams had actually lost market share and had been losing them for some time, but they're gaining it back again. And for a couple of reasons, one of that is there's not enough LVL produced right now, so there's some substitution there. The other is mass timber. So mass timber buildings use a lot of new laminated beams. Mass timber is growing as well. It's uh, However, it's very boutique. So uh, somebody said that every mass timber building you see has a press release that comes out with it. <laughs> and so, you know, it's kind of the first, right? So when we get past these being first, then uh, it, it will really take off. Uh, mass timber is growing exponentially. It really is growing fast, but it's still very small. So in that sense, those are the, really what I see as far as engineering wood products and, and the uh, market share of where it's going. Great. Well, that was awesome. Thank you. 
Hopefully that's helpful for somebody. Yeah, that's very helpful. And that brings us to our rapid fire questions, which uh-huh. you already probably know them all because you've listened to our uh, podcast. So you're probably prepared. I, I don't know. I think I got a couple of them, but that I've cheated on. So. <laughs> All right. Well, it's okay. We'll go through them. I might need to change them up next time. Okay. Uh, what's the last book you read? So the last book that I completed, I would say, I'm, I'm notorious for starting books and never finishing them, but uh, Shoe Dog was about Nike, which oh, I highly that's recommend. A good one. It's really good. But the book I'm currently reading, which I'm motivated to finish, is called uh, Influence is Your Superpower. It's by an author named Zoe Chance. And she says, the science of winning hearts sparking change and making good things happen. Basically, it's that you have better, you know, more influence than you realize. And basically, you just have to ask, right? Oftentimes, we're reluctant to ask. And the answer is no, if you don't ask. Right. So so her book is about asking and also listening to what the uh, real cause or real core of the need is. So you might think it's one thing and whoever you're talking to might have a a different outcome that they would like and, and maybe you can match them up. So. Are you a uh, audiobook guy or do you read real books? You know, I'm not an audiobook guy because I'm a bit ADHD. So I have to hit the replay or replay button so many times if I do an audiobook. So I've kind of given up on those. But I, I do like reading hardcovers. I'm, I like historical fiction. Uh, I can really get into those. Okay. What is the most recent thing you learned within the industry? You know, when we were at the uh, NAL Leadership Summit, we had a speaker there and he talked about this Ukraine conflict, which I thought was pretty interesting. The thing I learned I was most surprised in is that Europe imports 74% of their wood products from Russia, Belarus, or Ukraine. And that is going to have a huge impact on what's going to happen here in the next few years and maybe beyond of how Mm -hmm. wood products move around the world. So it's that's a huge, learn, huge number. Not, yeah, it's a big number. How would you describe the lumber industry in one word? Relationships. I mean, really is, particularly now with allocations, it really comes down to the mm-hmm. relationships you have with people and, and how you navigate through this. So this past couple of years. Definitely. Okay, last, what's your favorite thing about the industry? I would say it's the interaction with everybody. I mean, you know, we've been locked up from COVID for two years and you, when you get to one of these trade shows or you get out traveling again, it's so good to see people again. And, and in our industry, gosh, we just have great relationships with people and to build on those and just to, to see people. And hopefully the next generation has some interest in this because it's a great uh, industry to be in. It really is. We're fun. We're fun to yes, hang out with. <laughs> we are. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Dan, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Hopefully that uh, that works for you guys and for your audience. But and congrats on this. I really do think you guys do a good job on this. Thank you. Thank you it's so worth, much. It's definitely worth listening to. Let me put it. Maybe not mine, but they, your oh, podcast stop. is definitely worth listening to. All awesome. Right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care.